Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. We're going to get stuck straight into the Word of God today. Today is... Like when you go away for a while and you sit with God and you start praying, you say, Lord, what is it that you want to say to your people? That's the heart. One of the problems with being away for a while is that there's different messages that start banking up and you're like, well, which one do I preach? And I just really feel like the Lord's just pressed upon my heart this morning as we enter a new season, as we, as we come out of, you know, like so I said, the Christmas season, the beginning of the year, we're pressing into Easter just to pause for a moment and look at the mark of a disciple. What is a disciple? What, what marks a disciple? What are the attributes of a disciple? What is it that God is calling us to be? You know, as a church, we talk about our vision, Jesus glorified, lives transformed, hope revealed. We talk about our mission and our mission is to make disciples, you know, passionate disciples of Jesus who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel. This is what we talk about regularly, that this is who we are. And when we were away, we visited um, some, a, a church on the Gold Coast. We visited a friend over there. And he was talking about the fact that, that the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. Let me say that again. The church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And it stirred me up because that is exactly why our mission statement is make disciples. Because as we come to the Word of God, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, as He is about to ascend to the Father, as He is about to send His Holy Spirit, as He has completed the work, He has died on the cross, He has said it is finished. And then as He's about to go, this is what He says. In Matthew 28 from verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some still doubted. And I love that it puts that honesty in there. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority is in the hands of Christ. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that, that he doesn't have the authority to move. It's like, it's like we forget that he is all powerful and almighty and, and seated with the Father, like the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling for all of eternity. All authority, church. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples. What he is saying is, I have a mission. That mission is to redeem the world. My mission, which I have come to fulfil, is to restore humanity to its rightful place, which is in right relationship with the Father. When God created, He created us for relationship, for intimacy, to walk with Him in the garden. We chose selfishness and sin. We walked away from that. And God has been on a mission ever since to restore that. And in Christ, He has. And so then He says, all right, I've done the work, I've done all of it. Now I'm establishing my church to do what? Make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. 
That is why we are called by God. That's why we gather here. That's why we run programs. That's why we have children's ministry. That's why we plant churches. And I'm really excited for our second Lobethal service this afternoon. This is why we do what we do. It is all about fulfilling His mission. And we are empty jars of clay. That's all we are. We are just really just the dust of the earth, worthless vessels that he chooses to use for his glory, for his purpose of making disciples. Make disciples. That is why we are here. And sometimes we can forget that. In fact, I think in the world that we live in, it's very, very easy to forget that because we live in a world that tells us that the purpose of this life is for our own comfort and our own desires. You know, when we were away, uh, one of the first nights we, we stayed on Surfers Paradise and I didn't realise that Surfers Paradise is like the Gold Coast version of Hindley Street. <laughs> so we thought we were staying in this lovely little spot on the beach and it's gonna be a really nice family feel and on the first night we walk out and I'm like, this is interesting. <laughs> covering the kids' eyes. Uh, I'll tell you what we saw on the beach on the first day, but that might shock some people. <laughs> so we're like getting there thinking, right, what the heck have we done? And we realised we're going to go shopping. So we, we go out one night and we, we thought, well, let's go for a lovely walk because we're still thinking Surfers Paradise is this nice place. And so we start walking and we're encountering interesting folk and we get to the shops to Woolies and we're like well let's buy up and get ready for you know for the the week ahead and for dinners and all that sort of stuff and we get there and we fill up a trolley full of food and we arrive at the cash register and the lady says to us just letting you know there's no bags in all of Queensland (laughs) we're like what do you mean she's like well the floods uh, all distribution has been cancelled and there's no bags in all of Queensland. I'm like, well, how the heck am I supposed to get this back to where we're going? We thought we'd have this lovely little walk and a few bags and carry stuff. And she's like, well, I don't know. So I'm like, well, can we take a trolley? She's like, well, you know, sure, as long as you bring it back. So Adzi leaves his driver's license at the sh- with the shops we get out there and there we are walking along Gold Coast version of Hindley Street (laughs) with a trolley full of groceries just walking along kids behind us in tow just walking and the abuse that was hurled (laughs) that people let Bailey's coming up he's like dad that person don't worry about it mate (laughs) you know your identity in Christ it doesn't matter what anyone says about you doesn't matter what anyone says about me, I'm pushing this trolley, we're going to get home. <laughs> Trudy's what we called her, she spent the night with us. <laughs> Probably the most comfortable night's sleep Trudy's ever had. There we were walking along and it's so funny as you're walking, even trying to push this trolley full of groceries on slight little inclines, you know, trolleys have a mind of their own. So you've got the trolley on this angle and you're kind of walking sideways to keep it along. And you're thinking, man, this sucks. <laughs> this is not what I was expecting for the first night of my holidays. And I started to think about that over this week and thinking, isn't it funny how blessed we are and how easy life is? 
that I was getting really annoyed about the fact that I had to push groceries in a trolley a couple of kilometres to get home when there are people in the world who go days and days and days on end without food. And you heard Steve Woods preach a great word last week, but there are people in the world who scavenge through rubbish dumps to find something to eat. And in the West, we have no idea how privileged we are. Our lives have become so comfortable, so easy that we've convinced ourselves that we're entitled to it. And the problem with that life, the problem with the ease by which we live is we have now convinced ourselves not only is the comforts of this earth something that is our right and something we desire, we come to the church with the same mentality. And we come to the call of God with the same mentality that we believe that church is a place that should meet my desires. And we treat church, we talked about this a while ago, we treat church as a restaurant instead of treating church as a hospital for the sick. We come and we're like, well, does that, is that on my menu? Do I like this? Do I like that? If I don't like these three things, well, then I'll go to the next one. As opposed to going, no, the church is the body of Christ. The church is not a building. It's not a restaurant. It's not a corporation. The church is the body of Christ. This gathering is a part of a broader gathering and we are called for the purpose and the mission of God to make disciples. It is not about us, it is about Him. And that is why we gather. For Him and for His glory. And as we live in this world, this this fast-paced, instant society where I can get whatever I want to get, when I want to get it, we discovered Uber Eats after that. Some of you don't know about Uber Eats because we live in the hills and we don't get it, but you get it down in town. And you can spend your whole life barely moving from your couch if you wanted to. You just type something in on your phone and it arrives at your door 20 minutes later and you can live like that. We live in that instant society where everything is given in a moment, fulfilling my every waking desire. And it breeds again this false reality of what it is that we've been called into, that we are not called into an instant faith. We are called, like God is not an insta God. God is the God of the journey. God is the God of discipleship. God is the God of walking with Him. He calls us to a life of following You know, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes along to Jesus one day in Mark 10 and he's like, you know, Lord, he falls at his feet and says, you know, what is the, what what do I need to do to be saved? I've done all of this. I've I've lived my life. I've, you know, I'm honouring the commands of God and Jesus sees into his heart and he sees this desire that he has for wealth and, and he says, well, sell everything you've got. And then he says, come follow me. Friends, this is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. There's a big difference between professing faith in Christ and saying, yeah, I believe, and being a disciple. And the the life that Jesus is calling us into, he's calling us not just to be a people who say, I believe in Jesus. James says, yeah, even the demons believe and shudder. 
He's saying it's not about just do you acknowledge the existence of God? No, the life that, that, will, that I'm calling you into, fullness of life, freedom, true freedom is found in following, in a life of obedience, in a life of laying down our lives and recognising that through hellfire, through difficulties, through distress, through even the delights of life, through the good times and the bad, my eyes are on Christ. He is all in all. He is Lord and I am following Him. This is what we're called to. And I felt to remind us, I felt to remind the whole church of Adelaide this weekend that this is what we are called to the life of discipleship. Let's just pause for a moment. Let's lay everything down and come back to the core of what it means to be a Christian. It's to journey with Christ. Now, let me just pause because I know some of you are like, oh, journey. Everybody's on a journey. You know? Like my learning journey. Everyone's got a journey. Like my love journey. Let's go on reality TV and date 26 women at one time because it's a love journey. Let's, you know, let's the food journey. You know, everyone's on a journey. I want to reclaim journey. Because it's act like I can see Marty at the back. He's already being like, oh, journey, buzzword. No, no, no. Let's, let's reclaim journey, what it actually means. You know, this, this idea of journey, of, of endurance, of patient endurance, of faithfulness, of continuing in one direction, a long obedience in one direction, as Friedrich Nietzsche says. This, this idea of this is what Christ calls us into, not the immediate, uh, temporary, constantly filling my desires, not the sugar hit that all of a sudden I feel better. No, no, it's about endurance, patient, faithful endurance in following Christ. That this is what faith is about. That faith is about journeying with God. Yeah, go to the Scriptures. What do we see in the Scriptures? Do we see the Insta God? Do we see the here's your bag, sir? No. What you see is God calling Moses, saving Moses in a powerful, crazy way, and then 40 years in the wilderness. And then another crazy encounter like, wow, this is amazing. And then another 40 years in the wilderness with people who have opinions. <laughs> Millions of them. We see Abraham who hears this call of God and years and years and years of faithfully seeking to follow. He says, go to a place I will show you. He doesn't even say, go to Cain. He goes, go to a place I will show you. And Abraham doesn't go, God, I just need a little bit more clarity, thanks. He says, well, you're God, so I'm going. Obedience. He had no idea the journey that lay ahead of him, but he obeyed because he understood who God is. And he said, you are worthy of all of my life and therefore I am saying yes to you. I'm saying yes to this call. You see, David, who's anointed as king, everything's going well. And then all of a sudden he's off being hunted like a dog for years and years and years. What we see 
in the Scriptures over and over again is that God calls us to a journey because faith is forged through fire. Now we go to, we go to the book of James. Let's go to the book of James. And there's such a beautiful passage as James begins. And he says this in chapter one, verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Do we consider it pure joy when our faith is tested? Because here's what the Insta Society says, is if your faith is tested, God can't be real. Because isn't God the vending machine we come to when we press the button? We pay our tithes, we say our prayers, we do what we should you know, be doing and therefore God should come through for me. And the moment God doesn't come through, we think, well, God can't be real. Yeah, God's not faithful because I'm going through something right now. But actually James says, no, the testing of our faith develops perseverance. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete because God is interested in us becoming disciples. He wants us to grow in maturity. He wants us to become complete. And he's like, you can't become complete and mature without going through some stuff. And so unless your faith is tested, you'll never develop perseverance. And if you don't develop perseverance, you'll never become the mature disciple I've created you to be. And so you'll be lacking nothing when you're there. And it, like, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I wanna encourage us today. If you are going through something, that does not mean God has forsaken you. Don't give up, don't give in. God is faithful and God is calling us into a life of discipleship. God is interested in growing us into maturity. And my prayer is that we would be a mature body, a mature Christian community who love Him, are devoted to Him and understand that life is about Him. Fullness of life is found only in Him. Friends, how do we escape? How do we, how do we live the countercultural life? If our culture is this consumerist, insta-culture, if that has crept into the church where we, we live this way, we think this way. How do we live counterculturally? How do we live in the way that God is calling us to live? And I think there's so much to be learnt by actually going to the Word and looking at the way that the Israelites lived. You know, there's this, there's so much to be said about what the Scripture would teach if the church would read it. There's so much to be said by going back to the early church and examining the way of life and examining the way they went about things and drawing off of their experience. You know, for the early church, uh, they were Jews. 
And Jews three times a year would make a pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem to worship God. Three times a year, no matter where they were in all of Israel, they would pick up their stuff, they'd pick up their family, they'd pick up their, and when I say family, I'm not just talking about children, I'm talking about children, cousins, aunties, uncles, parents, great-grandparents, like it's the whole horde because everyone lived together and you'd take your livestock and off you would go, you would journey towards Jerusalem. And that could be up to 200 kilometres on foot. We're not talking about 200 no, two kilometres with a trolley. We're talking about 200 kilometres on foot with all of the family and they would go and they would, they would just journey towards Jerusalem because they were going to worship God. And along that journey would be all sorts of difficulties that would come against them. You know, there's the weather, there's, they didn't have little hotels, they're staying along the way. You know, there's, there's, they're in danger, there's times of disillusionment, there's, so much that could go wrong from so many reasons for them to turn around and go back home and say, this isn't worth it. And yet they would press on day after day after day, slowly being drawn towards the temple of God to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What sustained them? What kept them on the road? Was it the crowd that they were walking with as that grew, as they got closer and more people came along? Was it the grandeur of the temple? The fact that the temple was this magnificent building and they wanted to go there and they're like, I just wanna see this spectacle. Was it the priest who was preaching that day? I can't wait to get to the temple to hear Hal Shabazzar. (laughs) He's a great preacher, I can't wait to hear him. And if this person's preaching, I might just not go today. Was it to hear the Levites singing their beautiful songs and really pastorally welcome and care for them as they came in? What was it that kept them going? It was a deep understanding that in order for them to have life, they needed the presence of God. The reason they went to the temple was because in the centre of the temple, directly behind the curtain, dwelt the presence of God. And as they journeyed along, as they went there, they continually reminded themselves, continually reminded themselves that God is the one who brings life, that apart from Him, there is no life at all. Yes, there's life in the flesh, but we are dead in our sin and transgression that we need him and the bleeding sheep in front of them as they would journey would remind them the whole way that he is my sacrifice. Because in order to access the presence of God, in order to access that holy place, in order to gain access to, to his gift of life, they first had to go through the altar. They had to bring that sacrifice to the altar. Yes, they would come in with thanksgiving and praise. There'd be all sorts of joy. There'd be celebration. The Levites would be singing. There'd be all this ceremony and such an excitement as they entered that, the temple courts. But as they drew nearer to the presence of God, things got real serious. Because as you near and you draw through the outer court into the inner core, all of a sudden there's an altar sitting there and not just an altar, but literally blood from ankle to knee deep 
from the thousands of sacrifices that had been made. There's nothing glamorous about a priest standing there with blood up to their ankles, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. As they sat there and had this stark reminder of their fallenness and their depravity and their desperate need for God, their desperate need for a holy God to cover that sin so that we could be renewed in His presence. And as they would come and they would bring that reverent sacrifice, the priest would declare forgiveness and they would go with great celebration, but they would come back because they knew that they were far from perfect and they had to continually make this journey over and over and over and over again. But our God is faithful. And the great promise of Scripture and the, the, what Christ has done, what Christ has done for us is that this God stepped down from heaven. He tore that curtain and he went from being separate from us in that holy place and he himself came and he laid himself down on the altar, the altar that is the Christ, God, the living God, the great, mighty, beautiful, incredible God who created all things, humbled himself. He laid his own life down on the altar. He became the living sacrifice. He became the lamb that was slain and he did it so that we could have that eternal communion with God himself that we could dwell with God, that we didn't have to go through a priest into a holy of holies, but He dwelt with us. But it doesn't mean that we get to bypass the altar. It means we go through the altar, we go through the living sacrifice of Christ. And in going through it, we ourselves lay down our lives. Romans 12, where it talks about offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God that we as the church are called to die to self. We as the church are called to pick up our cross daily, it says, and follow Him. We are called to a life of following friends. Discipleship is a life of daily dying to self, daily picking up our cross, daily following Him, not living in that like constantly feeling bad about ourselves, but living in great joy because we know that He's covered me. As I go through the altar, He has covered me. He has given me joy. He has given me life. He's given me everything I need for life and godliness, the Bible tells us. That we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. That is our identity in Him. And so what it causes us to do is to continually sit at that altar and say, Lord, take my life. Here I am. Have all of me, have everything of me. Lord, I long to live in this place. This is the life of discipleship. This is the life of discipleship. This is the life we are called to as a church. The daily surrender of our lives in gratitude and thanksgiving for the sacrifice of the Lamb. Being filled to the fullness of God that we might go and make disciples.
that we might declare this message to the world that they too would make disciples. Eugene Peterson has this amazing quote. And this has wrecked me the last few weeks. Eugene Peterson says this. We've got it up on the board. You can follow it with me. It is not difficult in such a world, talking about this Insta society, to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship, the journey in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. When Christ came to the first disciples and he said, come follow me, what he was calling them was a life set apart. He's saying, come out from the old way of life and come follow me. That same call sits on the church today. Come out from the old way of life. Come follow me. Come follow me. And I feel to remind us today that this is the call of Hills Baptist Church. When we say make disciples, this is what we are calling all of us into. That long, patient, enduring walk the journey of discipleship. And those of you who have been around for a little bit, you know that we talk about discipleship. Discipleship is, is a cycle, it's not linear. We talk about discipleship includes belonging, believing, becoming and building, yeah? We say that it begins with a, a place of belonging. You don't have to believe to belong, but there's something that God does and He draws us to Himself. And as he draws us into Christian community and we encounter people who are living this countercultural life, that belief will start to grow, that we start to wanna get into the word. We start to have our, this desire for this, this message becomes compelling. And as we sit under that message, it begins to change us and our lives begin to look different. And because our lives look different, we start to build the kingdom of God. And we build in community, which leads to that sense of belonging. Like we talk about, this is what this, this long discipleship looks like. This is what the call of God looks like, a life of belonging, being in community. Yeah? It means giving God time and it means giving other people time. It means actually sitting with Him and sitting with others, prioritising Christian growth, prioritising being taught and teaching. My question is, if we are a disciple, disciples will always make disciples and be discipled. So the question for each and every one of us is one, who are we discipling? And two, who's discipling us? And you can't just say Dave, because it's not about coming and just having someone preach. No, no, it's a life. 
It's a following. Who's speaking into your life? Who, is it, who are you accountable to? Who are you coming to saying, hey, I give you the keys to be honest with me. I give you the opportunity to say, to, to sow into my life. Who's discipling you? And who are you discipling? A pool where the water doesn't flow grows stale, but when the water flows, it's beautiful and pure. And God is calling us not just to be filled, but to go and fill others. Who are you discipling? Who are you investing? If the answer is nobody, today, I'm asking you to just sit here right now and you pray, say, God, show me who you want me to invest in. Who am I gonna call to a life of belonging? Who am I gonna invest my time in? Who am I gonna start teaching, both through word and witness, through the way I live my life? Who am I gonna influence for the gospel? There's this other amazing quote, um, no one knows who wrote it. It's a first century document that they found, a letter. And it's called the, the Epistle to Diagnotes. That's how I'm gonna say it. I don't know if that's right, Diagnotes. But we have this, we have this letter still 2,000 years later, first century. Listen to what this person says about the witness of the church. The Christians are not distinguished from other men by country, by language, nor by civil instructions. For they neither dwell in cities by themselves nor use a peculiar tongue, nor lead a singular mode of life. They dwell in the Grecian or barbarian cities as the case may be. They follow the usage of the country in dress, food and other affairs of life, yet they present a wonderful and confessedly paradoxical conduct. They dwell in their own native lands, but as strangers. They take part in all things as citizens and they suffer all things as foreigners. Every foreign country is a fatherland to them and every native land is foreign. They marry like all others, they have children, but they do not cast away their offspring, meaning they don't sacrifice their children to Molech. They have the table in common, but not their wives. <laughs> They're faithful to their spouse. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They live upon the earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the existing laws and excel the laws by their lives. They love all and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and yet they are condemned. They are killed and are made alive. They are poor and make many rich. They lack all things, but in all things they abound. What a testimony. That's a disciple. And that's written by someone who's saying, look at the Christian life. Hey, hey, mate, there's these people in the world at the moment. This is what they look like. How crazy is this? Is this what the world would say of the church today? Is this what the world would say of us? Because nothing should have changed. When God gets a hold of us, when the Spirit of God is indwelling us, when we are coming to that altar, when we are dying to self, when we are forsaking the Insta society and we are picking up the call of the cross, when we are walking by faith, when we are saying, God is my all in all. He is worthy of my life. He is worthy of me being a living sacrifice. He is worthy of everything. He is so much greater than anything this world has to offer. Fill me, Lord. He will do a work in us. He will transform us and people will say this stuff of us oh Lord that it would be true that we would see your fruit of the spirit in our lives that we would look different amen that we would look different but that difference comes friends as we recognize 
our need for the altar as we recognise our need for him. As we, like the first century Jews, would go on a journey of faith and we would find such joy in bringing the sacrifice. But we don't have to bring a lamb. We receive the lamb as we bring our lives. Let me say that again because some of you didn't hear that. We don't bring a lamb. We receive the lamb as we bring our lives. And as we bring our lives, we get his life. The life that only he can offer. God is inviting the church to a life of discipleship, not to a life of consumption. God is inviting the church not to be something we attend, but a people that we are. To be a people who follow him and dwell in the fullness of that life that the world looks at us and just goes, wow, you guys are weird. (laughs) But gee, you're compelling. I really don't like some of the things you stand for. But gee, you're compelling. Talking to Laura the other day, she said, you know, the church... The church is a bit like a picnic. And in my mind, I thought of an actual picnic, but she was talking about a Cadbury picnic bar. She's like, it's ugly beautiful. (laughs) Which works for the picnic scenario too. Ugly beautiful. In and of ourselves, we are fallen and we are flawed and we will hurt one another and we will hurt others and we will be selfish. And yet when we come and we lay our lives down on the altar, there's something so glorious about what God does in us. Even out there this morning having a coffee, you've got children scaling walls, you've got people of all different walks of life and you look around, it just makes me so happy. I'm like, where else does this happen in the world? Nowhere. It's so beautiful. It's so precious. It's so worthwhile to encourage one another in the life of discipleship. May it be true of us, hey? I'm gonna close and Ben can come up. But I wanna close. I'm gonna sit and just wanna read from the book of Philippians for a little bit and just let this, let this wash over us. This is Paul. This is Paul talking about himself and talking about the call to discipleship. Chapter three, verse one. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it's a safeguard for you. It's no trouble for me to talk about the cross again and again and again and again and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. It means it's, it's us who have died to ourselves and have been filled with Christ, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is not in the flesh. 
And then he says, though I myself have reason for such confidence. And he goes on and he talks about all the stuff in his life which he could boast in. And then in verse seven, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything we have, I bring it to the altar because none of it matters compared to the surpassing worth of Christ. My Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from doing the religious things, but that which comes through faith in Christ, enduring faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of that faith. I wanna know Christ. Is that the cry of our hearts? I wanna know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection, amen. Who wants to know the power of His resurrection? I wanna know that. Come on, somebody. I wanna know the power of His resurrection. I wanna see my life radically transformed. I wanna see dead things cut off. I wanna see new things birthed. I wanna see the power of the resurrection. But here's what we don't often pray, and participation in His sufferings. Who wants to participate in the suffering of Christ? Anybody? All of a sudden we're a bit quieter than we were before. Why? Because as I participate in the sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection, the power comes through the altar. The power comes as we die to self and pick up the cross and follow Him. Some of you need breakthrough in your lives today. Some of you are wrestling with stuff. Stuff's been sitting on you for year after year after year and there's the occasional prayer, but there's not the dying to self. Today, the Lord is saying, come and die to self, pick up your cross and I will bring breakthrough in your life. And then Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Even Paul not that I've obtained all this or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is head, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The invitation is to the journey. The invitation right now, this day is to the journey. For those of you who have paused, get back on the road. Come back to the journey. Come back to patient endurance. Come back to trusting Him. Stop looking to the hills, as the psalmist says. Stop chasing after all the things of this world. Stop thinking that fame and recognition is gonna bring you a sense of peace and a sense of identity. Stop thinking that more money is gonna help my problems. Stop thinking that just some, some authority and leadership position is gonna help me. No, 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 my help comes from the Lord. And so I will not be led to the left or to the right. No, no, I will fix my gaze upon the holy place and I will continue to march one foot in front of the other with brothers and sisters by my side, encouraging me on that road and keep on walking. 
day after day after day, whether I'm distressed, whether I'm disillusioned, whether I'm in a really great place, keep walking, keep walking. Run the race with perseverance. Fight the good fight of faith. Keep running, keep running, keep running, keep running. Don't give up, don't let go, don't fall away. Stay the course. Live the life of discipleship. Don't listen to the lies of this world, but fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and run after Him. Because in Him and Him alone is life and life to the full. Life to the full is only in Him. And so we celebrate that and we're gonna respond right now by taking communion. A meal that Christ Himself ordained to remind us of this exact fact that we are dead in our transgression and sin, but have been made alive in Christ. And as we take the bread and we take His body, we remember that His body was broken for us. And as we take the cup and we drink the cup, we remember that His blood was poured out for us, that He became the sacrificial lamb, that He laid His life down on the altar for us so that we could have access through the new and living way, the new curtain, which is His body, not to bypass it, to go straight through it and sit in that space and receive life and life to the full. That is why we take communion, to remember and to be encouraged that our God is faithful. Our God is faithful, amen? And so we keep running the race. We endure, we press on, We live the life of a disciple, knowing that He sustains us. So let's do this together now. Stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite you to take communion. And we have stations around the place, over there, at the back, over here. I think it's gluten-free at the back usually. But I want you to take it and take time. Grab it, come back to your seat, sit with it. The band will sing. And when you're ready, stand up and give Him praise for all that He's done. And ask Him and say, Lord, renew my heart. Search our souls and say, what needs to die today? What needs to be brought to the altar? What needs to be done with? And say, Lord, deal with it, take it. I offer my body as a living sacrifice right now. I offer my life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to You. You're the one who purifies me. You're the one who makes me holy. And take me, Lord, on that journey. Let me faithfully follow You that I might be found faithful at the end of times, found in Him, that on that last day when He comes back, He will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, not for anything that I have done, but for what He has done because we are in Christ. Thank You, Jesus. Lord, we love You. We praise You. And God, right now, we at Hills Baptist Church say yes to You. We will not be like the rich young ruler. Lord, make us like Peter though fallen and flawed. Say, where else will we go? For you have the words of eternal life. 
May we be like John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who through being boiled alive and whatever else hit him, faithfully endured to the end. May we be like Paul, who fought the good fight. Knit us together in your blood and your sacrifice. And in so doing, fill us with joy, the joy of your spirit, as we seek first your kingdom and its righteousness, knowing that all these things will be added unto us. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.